morning, Cameron. All right. Good morning, Brock. All right. Welcome to Cameron and Brock are two people, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are two people. It's not as easy as it sounds, honestly. If it was, then we wouldn't have a podcast about it. Right? I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> You're supposed to yes and me, Brock. <laughs> no, that was a no and. Oh. I mean, you know, it's its own method. Revolutionizing 5,000 years of of theater and improv- improvisation. <laughs> right here. Yeah, look, this isn't an improv troupe, right? We have to, but we we have to maintain a constant flow of dialogue, of back and forth. Mm. We can't be no ending each other into the ground. Of course, this is me no ending you, no ending me. Right. I think what happens is that we just develop completely parallel conversations that don't actually interact with each other. Oh, okay. So it'd be like later, like uh, like the White Album. At some point, we're just um, alternating completely different tracks uh, in preparation for the band just splitting up. We're are we going to split up? Are you going to have a podcast called Cameron is one person, <laughs> <laughs> and I likewise. No, I th- I think that we'll uh, we'll actually to move from Beatles to Beach Boys. We'll have a a forty year like sort of litigation back and forth over who can use the name Cameron and Brock are two people. <laughs> but it's gonna, I'm gonna get a different co-host, so it's gonna be like Cameron and Brock are two people featuring Steve or something. <laughs> and uh, and you are meanwhile gonna go on the road as Brock. Um, let's see. I, I oh. guess at that point, at that point, you could do Brock is one person, or or, or you Brock go f- of Cameron and Brock are two people, sort of. Right. Well, no, you see, you can't use the name like that. I'll stick my lawyers on you. Yeah, well, I've already got lawyers coming after you. So, uh-huh. meanwhile, I mean, as yeah. long as there's not like a stay put in. Oh, this is this is the uh, yeah. So this is where the decades of litigation come in. Um, in the meantime, I imagine that you'll probably try to find someone whose name sounds uh, similar to Cameron. Maybe you find a guy named like Samwell, and you launch like Samwell and Block are two people. Nah, just dude. Hope that- I, I, how about Cameron with a K? Oh, okay, Cameron. You actually reach out to the rapper Cameron with the apostrophe. Yeah. Um, who? I mean, I I get that. Uh, at at, uh, at Starbucks and whatnot all the time. Anyway, people drop the E. Um, so yeah, you, you could have Cameron and Brock are two people, um, and then you know just kind of capitalize on confusion. Uh, did you know that <laughs> this is a weird callback to last episode? But you, did you know that one of the reasons that the um, Todd McFarlane named his character Spawn supposedly, uh, or I don't know, this might actually be something you said in an interview, but it's something I read online and didn't confirm, so I'm going to say supposedly. Um, he made his name doing Spider-Man, um, so he came up with a character who alphabetically would show up in the comic racks right before Spider-Man. All right. I mean, that's pretty clever, and sure, I wouldn't... One might say. Right. I, I think it is. I think telling someone that sort of destroys 
something about it. So just don't ever mention that, but have done it. That's fine. I think I think at some point McFarlane realized that maybe the window had closed on old Spawn when it came to <laughs> you discovery just, of yeah, you, Spawn you, in the in the, the shelves. Spawn resurgence has just been majorly set back. Which is apparently happening. There is actually a Spawn resurgence featuring or like a new movie. Oh, that's true. Jim, that Jim interview Fox was probably too. a decade ago, so he delayed the new Spawn at least a decade. Tom McFarlane, genius of our times. Uh, for sure. Um, goodness. Uh, do you have anything on the docket for today? Do you have, a, do you have any, any prepared statements? Any sort of like, uh, something, anything you need to get off your chest? Prepared statements. Um, before we move into the sentencing phase, I would like to say a few things. I don't think so. I didn't sleep a lot. Uh, we had somebody over and, Hadn't seen him in a while, and I, I got Abigail to watch a scary movie with me, which is something that's beyond um, rare. Okay, uh, what's what's uh, what's the what nature of scariness are we talking? Well, so I'm not just willy-nilly trying to make her watch any scary movie. One, I don't like all the scary movies. Two, she is so fragile when it comes to any kind of upsetting imagery that say uh, let's see i'm i don't I'm not a big slasher fan or an overly jump scary movie, but you can't really avoid it all so like let's take the conjuring yeah, that was a pretty good scary movie, yeah, it um, was all told. I would never in a million years even attempt to get her to watch it. Though I would like to watch it with her, I know it would just be a complete disaster and she would not be able to finish it. Or if she did, it would bother her for a long time. So I wouldn't try. This is a movie. Perhaps you've seen it. It Follows. Oh, I, hmm. Yeah, I have seen both those. For as limited of a sort of like a palette as uh, of of scary movies that I uh, kind of have in my back pocket. I've seen both those movies. Yeah. So it, it, it follows is the, uh, it's the, they shot it out in uh, the, the suburbs of Detroit, right? It's a, uh, um, is it like a really straightforward metaphor for STDs? I want to say, uh, I think that that would be a horrible. Well, <laughs> like if that's actually what it is, I think really it lame. isn't. It, isn't but it the is, whole- well, you say I metaphor. Know. I don't, I yeah. don't want to give it away, but it is a sexually transmitted ghost, if you will. So there you go. Yeah, I, that's but what that's I was not thinking. a metaphor. I, it wasn't like. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I knew that there was a sexually transmitted element. I'm not. I, it's, I'm not like expecting that it was a. Um, a movie length uh, PSA about right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, herpes or something. Right. So there was very low jump scare. It was sort of this, you quickly knew what was going on, but it didn't relieve the terrible tension of the inevitability of the scenario. It was like a good idea and it didn't mm-hmm. need gore or jumps. It was just like terrifyingly psychological. Without being like, it was straightforward in a lot of ways. So yeah, 
It went over as well as it could have, actually. Oh, so she found it. Um, she found closure. She slept last night. Is what you're saying? Uh, I believe so. So that was a major success. I'm mildly surprised. Now it's been a long time since I've seen The Conjuring, but I feel like I came away from uh, It Follows a little bit more. I mean, that, I found that movie scarier than The Conjuring because The Conjuring is just like a pretty straightforward like. Uh, um, somebody in the house died and a long time ago and has like unfinished business sort of movie. Right. Like I, I feel like the, um, the pleasant like surprise of the conjuring was how much they didn't use like a ton of, of gore or like a weird CGI or anything. And it was, I mean, the main scene that I remember from that movie that was scary just involves, uh, someone, someone, uh, looking around in a room and it hands coming out from like a boudoir and just like clapping behind them. Like when there's no one in the room, like very yeah. I think you've actually you've mixed a couple scenes, but sweet. It, that's the sense. I think you've nailed the sense. Yeah. So you think that you think that the way that Abigail uh, processes fear, she does better with a um, sex demon walking in, uh, unstoppably to towards someone across like a college campus than she does with like an, uh, a more traditional sort of unfinished business ghost. Yes. A disturbing, okay. disturbing imagery in a violent context is not great. Although, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I sorry. Used, I don't. I don't need to be poking holes in your uh, spousal uh, horror movie uh, desensitization. All program. I know is I was right. I used to watch <laughs> all kinds of stuff that it didn't bother me. You know, certainly it was sort of scary or not. And then when I got married, I realized she was so sensitive to it that, especially just sounds like if there was screaming or somebody sounding like they were in agony or pain or whatever. She would freak out, and she'd be like, what is that? I don't want to hear that, you know, and it bothered her a lot. Um, hmm. And so over time, I realized that, I don't know, maybe several years into marriage, if she wasn't around and I'd be watching a show and something was loud and sounded disturbing, I had a I had a visceral reaction to it. I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, I can't listen to this, and I'd turn it down, and, I, and I'd be like, hold on. Am I reacting to this, or am I reacting to the idea that somebody's going to be reacting to this? And it was the latter. Well, it's, so, it's touching know. that you've absorbed her sensitivities such. Uh, vicariously suffering her fears is certainly a. Uh, I, I wonder, is it quality. touching, or is that somehow. Uh, is it weakening you? <laughs> yeah, is this an unhealthy development? I. I uh I I don't, I don't empathy is rarely an unhealthy development although in this case the um <laughs> the sort of uh r- r- rationality of the empathy might be called into question for sure um right but I mean you're both it sounds like you're both ending up outside of your uh default <laughs> lane a little bit so that's that seems generally healthy I I'm over here coming at it from the complete opposite uh, angle, which is that I, um, 
I did not like horror movies. I I can't think of a single like uh, horror genre movie other than maybe the time that we watched uh, Event Horizon uh, in my in my remember that we oh yeah that? yes yeah yeah um, other than Event Horizon which I I mean was way sci fi enough that I could kind of qualify as not being horror I never saw the Scream movies I never saw. Uh, it, I never saw the, uh, well, I think I saw the thing, but again, more sci-fi than horror, right? Like I, I didn't see a lot of horror stuff, uh, for a long time. Um, sort of like how I didn't, uh, like spicy food growing up. And I would like insist that spiciness wasn't a flavor. Cause that's a super fun, uh, opinion to hold. That's that a good really hill to die on. <laughs> yeah. It makes you a lot of friends at parties. Um, you should, yeah, just declaring that someone else's enjoyment isn't even a, isn't even, doesn't even qualify as a category of something is real nice. Um, so like, and Shannon, on the other hand, is very, very into horror stuff. Um, to this day, more into like various amount of very, various types of horror stuff than I, I would be. Um, I want to say she, she got, uh, I want to say she watched Ec- The Exorcist in a class. I want to say she had a class where they watched it. I might be making that up. I still haven't seen The Exorcist, but she has introduced me to a variety of our other horror movies. Um, I, I think that I, I still kind of think of them like this uh, because the the primary export of a horror movie is kind of fear. It is kind of like hot sauce where if you aren't, um, ready to at least accept that experience as like a, you know, the primary purpose of a hot sauce is to make something spicy, right? Like there's not, there's different types of spiciness or different things riding alongside with the spiciness, but it, look, it's hot sauce. It's going right. to be if something you, spicy. If, if spiciness is something to be avoided in your mind, then yeah, there's then no not, good hot sauce. Right. And so, and, and a horror movie is, it's right there in the genre name. Like, you know what you're in for. Um, regardless of the, the type, uh, but I've come around, um, I watched the conjuring. We watched the, uh, the abyss not that long ago. That movie has, that movie's not bad. Um, it is not, maybe not great if I believe, aren't you a big claustrophobia guy? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a big claustrophobia guy in that I support claustrophobia, (laughs) but I am terribly claustrophobic. Yeah. I should have been more specific. Yeah. Um, you, you, uh, so the, the abyss is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming since you haven't chimed in yet, you have not seen it. The abyss is, uh, the a old, group of, huh? Wait, there, it's, it's, it's like, uh, girls in a cave. Oh no. I think there caving. was an older movie called the abyss, but anyway, I know which oh, no, movie no, no, you're no. talking I'm not, about. I'm, I have I'm not. saying the wrong word. I'm the sorry. Cave. The, the abyss, the abyss is a, uh, the abyss is the one at the bottom of the ocean. Right. Um, I'm I'm thinking of the descent. The, the movie descent. I'm thinking of yes. is with Rosario Dawson. I that sounds right. Um, does it have Rosario Dawson in it? I'm not looking that up. I have, I closed Chrome for CPU reasons, so we're going in blind here. Um, but yeah, it's a it's they they get lost in a cave. Um, but there is and like uh, oh the new the it remake. I mean now I'm just naming movie names, but the new <laughs> it is very good and really fun. Um, but she, she approaches them differently than me. I grew up with this, uh, and we're already into this area, I guess, topic wise, but like I grew up with the, um, very 
kind of specific frame of reference of experiences that um, you do you did not want to uh, soften yourself to the negative reaction that you had to certain things that were bad. Um, and if you did, that was kind of a sign that you were becoming, I forget what the actual term that we would use, but you, you were becoming hardened to it. For example, if you did not, if the first time that you heard someone say the word fuck, you flinched. And then later in your life, you no longer flinch. Then you have lost something, I guess. Is desensitized. Desensitized. Thank you. So there was a fear of being desensitized to the wrong kinds of things that steered me away from a lot of horror movies um, growing up. Whereas Shannon came out at it from like horror movies, you know, they're, they're not hopefully not racking up any more of a real life body count than, than uh, any other kind of movie. And so she, she was just like impressed by the, you know, the, the execution and the craft, um, the ability to, to, uh, to, 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 you know, simulate all sorts of, you know, creative, terrible things. And also, I don't know Shannon incredibly well, but I do know that we have talked about, ghost stories and such together multiple times. So we both have that interest, I believe. Oh, definitely. That's a, she is very into, uh, into ghosts. Uh, she's into cults. Uh, like she tries out different cults or, Oh, it's, it's more, um, it's more of a, like, uh, a a spectating. I'm I'm happy to say, um, But she'll she'll watch uh you know the, the she'll read books about the um various cults and and watch shows. I'm not sure if there's a movie about a ghost cult, but if there was, I think she'd she'd be first in line. Um, she is not, however, into aliens. Not a big fan of aliens. Didn't have a good time uh, with alien abduction stuff. I guess her um, she grew up with uh, folks around here who like had some books floating around when she was of a formative age. Um, you know, UFO factor fiction kind of books. And uh, that's the one area that I think we, that I actually am, have a little bit more, uh, more of interest in than she does. She will back away from a, an, an abduction thing. So have y'all seen the fourth kind? I mean, that's sort of a merging of those two. The fourth kind, no, but I'm writing it down. I've not even even heard of the fourth kind. It's not a sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's an alien abduction scary movie. All right, I, I bet you all all amount of money that she has already heard of it and might have even seen it. But I'm writing it down. I'm trying to get back into movies. Um, I have a hard time committing to two hours of anything um, once you, the kids are in bed. Excuse me. Once the kids are in bed, it's nine thirty or whatever, and I realize like I have, you know, three hours left in the day, and use and making a call up front that two thirds of them is going to be spent a particular way. Hard for me to do, even though what I'll end up doing instead is just like sitting on the couch looking at my phone. Hello. I'm I'm right there. Hey, have you and seen? I've been trying to explain okay. it to myself what I'm doing. Okay. I hear people talking about series and this is the golden age of different series. Prestige television. Yeah, Yeah. and and really high quality, high budget series, any kind of genre you would imagine. 
and I like a lot of it, but maybe it's the limited time I have, but it has to be something else as well, where I sit there and I have two hours and I could watch two episodes of something, and I just think, well, I don't know that I want to invest enough time in this to finish watching the series, so I don't, don't start anything ever anymore. Well, I mean, the, the we've been you and I are not the target of the the marketing these days of bin, binge watching Netflix releasing an entire series on one day. So, like the but days aren't in which, we like I know we, a lot of people who do it who how, are how like with me. children. How? What are you going to do? Lock your children in a, another room and do like I can't stay up I late. I guess, but I am Take describing a Saturday. Staying up late. Take a Saturday? How? My my kids are around all Saturday. I mean, yeah, Look, you could stay. I haven't you, thought of the details. I'm going to have to <laughs> do some research because they do it, and I don't know how. Yeah, I, I don't know that parents are out there binging because your binge has to start at 8 and go to, like, I guess maybe you could squeeze in six hours solid if you if you run to the I couch. I think it's right probably more down. like a two-hour-a-night type of thing. It's not a binge, else Netflix would release one episode a day instead of 24 episodes a Okay, day. if you can finish a series in less than a week, I think I'm going to still call that a binge. Oh, okay. I, uh, I suppose. I did. I mean, I stayed up and watched Daredevil like that, the first one. There you uh, go. Season. I mean, but, but the days of, um, and Shannon and I, of course, this dates me a lot, but um, we... Early in our marriage, uh, would go to this place in Nashville called The Great Escape, which was all like action figures and records and um, VHS tapes and DVDs and stuff. The VHS tapes there were a quarter. Um, so that doesn't date me too much. Yeah, I am describing buying VHS tapes, and I'm also describing buying them for a quarter. Because When you was- say quarter, could you please go, quarter? A quarter? <laughs> we go down to the corner and we'd buy, we'd get ourselves a soda pop. And uh, buy ourselves the VHS, VHS tapes were a quarter. You know, quarter. it might even be more effective if you said five nickels. Two, two bits. <laughs> two bits for What's a Betamax. What's a bit exactly? A bit is a half a quarter. Two bits shaving a haircut for two of them. Two bits. Um, I know a lot about bits other than what their actual denomination was. So thank you. I don't know. That's all I know. I mean, I've gotten the same question from Archer, and he, he figured out that a bit is 20, 12 and a half cents because he's doing fine on math. Um, anyway, we get uh, we get uh, um, we did th- this at least one time in 2007, 2008, which is but and this is pre HDTV. So before we actually bought a flat panel TV, when we first got married, I didn't want to I didn't want an HDTV. I did not want a game console. I did not want a big giant, so we bought the one of the last remaining CRT TVs in the back of Best Buy. Um, that's right. I bought a new CRT TV in two thousand in the summer of two thousand six. Could you do a quick footnote on why that was your decision? Yes, uh, I did not. I was not impressed. But, oh boy, um, I don't. <laughs> first of all, I had no money. That was probably a factor. Um, the CRT was about. I want to say $300. And at the time, the cheapest flat panel was probably a thousand or more. Um, this was also early in flat panel times where, uh, you, oh yeah, it was a thousand bucks for like a 720 P TV. But if you wanted a, a proper 1080 P not 1080 I mind you no interlaced 1080, but a proper 1080. 
No, yeah, 1080, like a proper 1080 horizontal lines of pixels. Um, I want to say those were like two grand, like minimum in 2006, because we waited for the price to come down and it still ended up costing us two years later when we finally got a, a, a proper flat panel, it still cost us like two grand. Um, so I mean, a, it was physically impossible for me to buy a flat panel TV. Um, but also it was a bad time for HD where everything was being upscaled and smoothed. You know what I mean? Like you'd watch like the local news and everybody would look like they were, um, Madame Tussauds figures because they were either still wearing like low D makeup or like the, they're running it through upsampling and processing and stuff. That that stuff bothers me in general as a, as a, as a person who does like pixel stuff. Uh, whenever somebody's got their TV on some weird sharpness setting where there's like JPEG artifacts around everything. <laughs> you know Life I mean? must be difficult for you sometimes. Mm. The dress was not a fun week. I'll say that much. Um, but uh, the, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The dress? I don't. I tried a couple things in my head real quick, and none of them made sense. So go the, ahead. The, the striped dress where people argued whether it was blue and black. Oh or, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And it was merely—it was just a color temperature thing, but it blew everyone's minds. Um, well, it's an interesting phenomenon. Not that specifically, but just how how ridiculously easy it is. To realize that what we see is completely subjective as far as our brains like, this will be the most useful way to know what's happening here. Don't mind that you don't actually know what's going on around you. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, you don't generally, unless you are involved with the constituent parts, see an image or process something as its constituent parts, um, I think. So for me with the the stupid dress um like i deal with color temperature all the time so the fact that someone took a picture of a dress where the dress was lit with warm light and the background was white blue um didn't throw me but that was where all the confusion came from is some people looked at that image and they said my brain processes this entire image as being lit from a yellow light Therefore, the dress is blue and black. And someone else would say, uh, or yeah, whatever the freaking colors were. And someone else would, their brain would see the background light and say, oh, this entire image is being, is being lit with sunlight. Therefore, the dress is this and that. Um, but, you know, yeah, the, the, uh, a similar thing happened. I kind of hate that we are here, but I think we can get something out of it. Similar thing happened with a, uh, uh, a sound like a month ago. Yeah. You remember the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the sound actually helped me as a person who was mad that everyone didn't understand color temperature, um, and even at the time posted an explainer blog post with a diagram on my company blog. <laughs> um, uh, it, you know, it, it's an optical illusion. It's it's look at this; these two colors are actually the same color, but when you put one on on red and one on on blue, they look different, right? It, that's all the dresses. Um, and but then I I played this the damn sound, and I couldn't. I, I could only hear one of the sounds. Um, and uh, of course I can hear the one that is the one that you can hear if your hearing is blasted out. <laughs> like if you don't hear uh, high frequencies, right? So I did not hear uh, Yeti or whatever. I heard the other sound. Um, but it's the same thing, right? Like if you're a sound engineer or something, you're going to 
you're and you're trained to not hear a sound as a uh as a unit but as like constituent parts um there's a you know you know what i mean each of these yeah. things if you're or if you look at a, you go into a art gallery and you look at a painting. If you're an artist, you're gonna, or you know, you're familiar. You're gonna be looking at all of the different pieces that go into the art, and someone else might just be looking at the painting as a unit. So, all right. So you respect the process a little more when you weren't in a position to know exactly what was going on already. Well, I was more or less, I was physically incapable of hearing the other sound. So there's a, there's a <laughs> an actual limitation there that I think wasn't, unless you're colorblind, isn't going to actually impact your um, processing of the dress. <sighs> what were we talking? How did we, how do I even mention you the bought dress? A, oh, a so I bought a CRT for some I bought a 27 inch sharp CRT TV that I still have in a storage unit because where am I going to find another CRT? Might as well keep this one. I've been carrying that thing around. <laughs> Said one person. For 10 years. It's really nice to be able to plug a, um, a like a Super Nintendo into it. Um, although these days, uh, because CRTs are getting scarce, um, the big uh, the big hobby thing to do is actually to buy upsampling boxes that cost like $500 and then upsampling a, um, a, a super Nintendo into your HD TV. That's a whole thing that I'm never wow. getting into. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so I, I've had this thing and in 2007 we had that, uh, that was our TV. And I actually, the thing that led me to buy an HD TV is I saw, and I had played early Xbox 360 games at our friend, our mutual friend Aaron's house and been thoroughly unimpressed because right around the time the 360 was out, PC games looked about a thousand times better than console games. Um, and then the 360 came out and I thought, well, these look, you know, now, now PC games look 10 times better than console games instead. But I felt no motivation to go out and buy an Xbox 360 um, until uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 happened. And uh, oh, at, did you play that, that point, with us? I did. I, I was motivated to buy Grand Theft Auto 4 because I was so impressed by the kind of like scope and execution of that game. So I went out and got an Xbox 360 and plugged it into my 27-inch standard definition CRT. Um, and the like the... Uh, the the pieces oh wait i'm remembering this i'm remembering that something to the effect of we're trying to get you to use your radar map Uh uh-huh and you're like what are you talking about it's like it's in the bottom right hand corner and you're like there's nothing there well it was there um it was that it was uh it was at uh you know one quarter of the resolution it's supposed to be or whatever um, that was, uh, that was the, the, um, initial motivator to buy an actual real TV, um, is that Grand Theft Auto 4 was not made to be played on C- CRTs and my, my mini map in the corner was just a bunch of blobs. Um, and, uh, I couldn't, I could barely read the text for the missions and things like that. Uh, again, this transitional period, you know, a, a lot of games had that problem, but GTA was one of the more aggressive with the like screw your old TV. If you want to be able to read the text <laughs> in this game, you better get a new TV. It was pretty. Im- I mean, 
it was a pretty impressive creation. These these very large scale living worlds where you could easily play with other people and sort of go around in them, and it was quickly absorbing. And your mind could fill it in a little bit, but the more uh, fidelity you had on the TV, it was just that much easier. I think it's sort of, well, this sort of ties into the new VR everything, but also what we were saying about the um, the the dress and the optical illusion right. is that it's really apparent that your brain quickly accepts what it's doing and tries to be like, okay, this is what's happening now. This is reality. What's the most useful thing here? So you really, your, your brain truly absorbs itself in being wherever you are, even in these fake environments. Once they reach a level of interaction and, and it's not realism per se, but complex, yeah, complexity, right? Yeah. And it's interesting. I think it, I think there's some real sci-fi future scenarios that aren't too far off. It's not the matrix, but at some point your brain doesn't care what's physical or virtual or anything like that. It's just, what do I need to deal with? And I'm going to accept that as normal. Right. I mean, the, the matrix, the hard part about the matrix stuff is not the, well, I'm being insanely reductive, but fidelity is certainly increasing from a like a visual standpoint and like the and, and more nuanced stuff like I haven't I literally have not worn a VR headset yet in my life. I kind of want my first time to be special. Uh but uh, the so I haven't like stood in line in public somewhere and I'm one of the ones where they're like wiping it off after every person. <laughs> that's not that's, that's not my first that's experience. The saddest thing. Yeah, so uh, I'll I'll save that for later. But like um, you know, some of the big uh, roadblocks to those things are are very weird things like r- refresh rate needing to be insanely consistent and and frame rate otherwise. Otherwise, your brain, uh, you know, if it if you move your head and the the screen does not move exactly with your head, you will like throw up. <laughs> like, um, yeah, you know what I mean. So like the um the actual uh we're getting there in terms of the fidelity and and the head tracking and all that stuff. Now, none of that has any impact of the on the like uh, behavioral like emotional immersion and things like that. Like, um. But I mean, your brain fills in gaps uh, for sure. I I I think like the yeah, the uh, advance of video games is a really good example of how much work our brain will do to fill in gaps. Because you go back and play every. Of course, everyone's like this. Every single game that you grew up with playing, uh, you go back and try to play it and realize like, oh. You know, this game was insanely visually primitive or, or you know, even like maybe the, the characters in it that you remember being so well-rounded are just a series of of lines, um, you know. Yes, very true. Even, even Grand Theft Auto 4, as phenomenal as that experience was at the time, that game is running some like insane amounts of filtering on the screen to kind of cheat its way into showing you a full city. Mm-hmm. That is the haziest game. <laughs> like everything in <laughs> in the distance sort of devolves into just kind of a, a pixel oatmeal. Yeah, and wherever you're looking at that moment, 
it's like, okay, well, let's try to do this real quick. Yeah. It's, Which it's, uh, yeah. I, I, is not completely unrelated to, to, to what do you know about quantum mechanics? Uh, let's see. There's a, the computer was Ziggy. Um, and then Al always showed up with the computer and it was never working right. And then he was always trying to get home. Okay. That's did, something unrelated, I think. <laughs> that was, did you not watch Quantum Leap? I thought you were, uh, Oh, Quantum, quantum Leap. Oh, that okay. was a whole Quantum Ziggy. Leap thing. No. Yeah. So, you know about a television <laughs> show from the 90s. In the night. Okay. <laughs> Um, was it? I think it was in the nineties. It was on for a long time. If I watched it. Yeah. We're going to go nineties. Uh, anyways, one of the things that may be proven otherwise is the observer effect where states are sort of fuzzy until they're observed and they collapse into a certain decision, like the double slit experiment where, yeah. Right. So that, Tell me that's not eerily like, well, I don't want to process everything. So if somebody's like looking at this object, we'll, you know, process it as a physical object. Yeah, no, that's actually how video games work, period. Like, uh, there's a really cool reality. Oh, well, man, I I have no, I literally, due to the observer effect, can't (laughs) definitively state one way or another vis a vis reality. Although I think that you quickly go down a path where uh, of uh, extreme uh, self centricism where I'm saying that I'm creating reality by looking around. Um, so that's that's a kind of a deep philosophical rabbit hole. Well, good job. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm, I mean, I'm doing what I can. Uh, but uh, even recently, the video game Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a ab- abjectly gorgeous game, it's one of the prettiest games I've ever seen. Um, they, they released a graphic kind of like showing from a third person view, uh, way up in what actually not third person, like omnipotent, like looking down at the, at the player character. Then as they look around, the game only draws like a, a five degree cone, you know what I mean? Right. uh, And like video games for performance reasons literally do what you're saying, which is they don't draw the backs of things. They don't draw where you're not looking. Um, or if they do, they draw it very low fidelity. Like a few years ago, there was a game called Rage that came out that got kind of slammed for this. When you spun around really fast in Rage, you would see the all the textures pop in and stuff because um, of the technology they were trying to use to make the visuals really high fidelity. Uh, didn't really recover fast enough when you moved around quickly. Yep. You only need so much for your brain. And we've, we're used to certain interactions. Let me tell you what happened when I put... It's one of those you could put your phone in. So it's a VR headset, but all you need is a phone, and it's like a case for it. Oh, yeah. So I took one of those 360 dome-type pictures of a couple places <clears throat> with my phone, one of the backyard, and I put it on, and you're standing there in the backyard, and you can look anywhere, and there you are. And Wait I put, a minute. You're telling me... That you could stand inside your house with merely with in 2018, you could be in your living room and merely by putting on a headset, you could be transported all the way to your backyard. You could also be anywhere in the world and also be in your backyard. But yes, the option to be (laughs) within 10 feet of where you are 
<laughs> physically and virtually is is the case. Anyway, that was a Dude. test. I also, Mr. Snark, had a 3D <laughs> picture of a sequoia forest. Okay, so there you go. Okay. Um. So, uh, yeah, I was just testing it out, and then I put it on my four- or five-year-old at the time, and he was like, cool, and he proceeded to immediately walk into a wall, like, <laughs> right away. Like, his brain was like, I'm now in the backyard, and he just started walking. <laughs> so, that's the future, okay? Your, your brain's just ready to just believe whatever we're throwing at it. Well, your five-year-old's brain is certainly, I'm terrified. Well, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I have not uh, invested. Like, I, the, occasionally the PlayStation VR goes on sale, and I think about it. Uh, but the uh, the things that have caused me to hesitate are, A, uh, sort of just the, the, um, the bougie guilt of having a dumb device lying around that I would use, like, once every three months. Uh, be the fact that I'm not sure I want to play Skyrim again in VR <laughs> and, uh, or like, and then every other game, as far as I can tell, is just like reaching out and hitting balls out of the air or something. And, uh, um, <laughs> that's such a perfect description. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm not sure I want to do the things that VR allows you to do in general. Uh, cause it's all, uh, you know, I'm just like, Hey, how would you like to be inside a Nintendo Wii? I don't really want to. Um, good. Um, but also, I, I don't want Archer to wear a VR headset because that kid gets inside his own head enough. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? Like, the last thing I need is for him to have the option to literally get inside his own head. Right. I mean, I think that's a fair point. You want to develop his brain at least enough to where it can handle both environments. You don't want him to have that walk into a wall experience and get locked into it. Yeah, he's, well, <laughs> I, I think, I don't know that Archer would translate it to physical movement, but what he would do is, is uh, disappear inside of it. Like it would, his, he would tell Right, like a robot just, plugging into a wall. He just sort yeah. of like slumps a little bit. And he would then, go catatonic, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would have to rip it off him and then like bring him back. Um uh, it was, uh, we're actually, oh, speaking of, this is, you know, as we float around, along here in the kind of edges of video game uh, talk, we, his reward for his uh, finishing school this year is actually kind of the least VR thing that, that uh, is currently available for video games, which is the Nintendo, uh, Nintendo Labo. You're familiar uh, with the Labo? Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. I don't have it, but... Yeah, we, we neither do we. He's got to finish up school, so we're probably a week away, I think, at this point. But uh, when he finishes school, he's gonna Shannon's going to take him to Target. He's going to pick it out. Um, so I will report back in a week or two about how that goes. Um, so the, just quickly, yeah. Labo is sort of cardboard-constructed physical objects that you can put controllers into for the Switch so that you're interacting more with physical objects and building stuff while also playing games with them. Yeah. And like the, uh, the, the variety pack, uh, that you can buy has a tremendous amount of different stuff in it. Like, uh, very basic stuff. Like you build a little robot that takes like five minutes and then it's just a little, like a four legged 
thing that you st- set the remote into and the remote vibrates and it causes it to kind of wiggle forward and that's it right like that's your lo-fi kind of warm-up thing but you can build a piano and uh, i've watched some video of it the piano takes <laughs> this is why i'll report back about how this, this will go because the piano takes like something like six hours to build what um, for an adult yeah no it's these things are 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 multi-hour like kind of like a time investments, even if you are not doing it with a seven year old. Um, so we'll see, but like the, the technology inside those remotes is, is shockingly high. Like they, uh, they, uh, the piano involves at a bunch of these actually involve putting a little, I, I think they're just like IR reflective stickers on things. So the entire piano actually is just one remote inside of there using the, the, uh, sensor from the remote to pick up the movement of all the keys and everything. And then there's also a sequencer inside the, there's sequencer software, right? Like at the end of it, you're, you're recording loops and stuff. This sounds like Nintendo brought a bunch of crap to an engineering school and we're like, Hey guys, screw around with this for a week. Yeah. Or years. It seems like this has been kind of cooking for a really (laughs) long time. Um, And they, they, they kind of, they they included a. It seems like every cool idea is in it. Like there's a fishing pole thing. I forget what else. There's there's a handful of other games. Um, See, I'm pretty excited. That's about That's what it. I liked about engineers. Um, I got I have received two degrees for one for electrical engineering and one for computer engineering as background. But as I think you realized and had told me before in your learning career path uh, during school. When you're in any kind of engineering, you start to realize that there are a couple types of people. There are the people who thought it was a good idea to do, but have a very hard time actually doing the work or getting through the schooling. Um, There are people who um, thought they could make money doing it and can pass the classes and, I think that was more where I was. And then there's engineers. They absolutely love everything about what they're doing. Um, Math, the crunchy bits, it's like they get literally excited about it. And so, yeah, these kinds of things were like crack. It was always like, but this is the part I liked about that personality. It's like, oh, wait. What if we did this? Wait, you know, you take something and it might seem to have one use and you come up with 10 uses for it because it was very creative and interesting and I loved that part of it. And then they'd be like doing equations and stuff and I'd be like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, there is, there, there was, um, yeah, that's the minority for sure, I would say, in, in my engineering classes. Because uh, I, I uh, took, for my background started as a computer engineer uh, because my parents said, well, this, the kid likes software or he, he likes computers, but we don't want to make We didn't know what we were doing. So they were like, well, we don't want to fully commit to software or hardware. Uh, so we don't want him to be an electrical engineer because that's all hardware or computer science is all software. So we'll do the middle. We'll be a computer engineer. That way you can do software and hardware, which is how no one ever thinks about computer uh careers but that was how i went in thinking um and there was there was the um the kids who 
like, and, and I went to a kind of notoriously tough engineering school. So the, the, after freshman year, a lot of the, a lot of kids dropped out and switched to business majors, uh, for sure. Um, and then there were, uh, so the, that's your first category. A lot of people stuck with it probably for the income or whatever, but like the, uh, there were the people that were inherently excited by the act of creation. Uh, cause that is what is coolest about that stuff for sure. It is, uh, it's in, in the kids who were really into the circuits and, and I guess probably eventually robotics and things like that. But I, by that time I had pieced out because I, I was tired of burning myself in, um, soldering class and switched fully to, uh, software, which I, I really ended up doing because I, it was easier to make a website than it was to make a robot. Um, but I did the robots. Yeah, that, I never made it that far. That seemed, I mean, robots do seem kind of cool. Uh, the, 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 I think I'm too, I think part of me is too like grumpily pragmatic to, to want to make a robot. Like it seemed, it, it didn't seem like an end that was actually practical. <laughs> okay. I do uh, understand you know? that. I think the thing I did like is the translation between um, writing something you know, building a, the logic of something in software and then seeing its sort of reality interact with the world. Totally. That was in that was interesting. But I'm totally with you on the part where you start to think, wait, what can I really do with this? If you know people who use, um, there's a Raspberry Pi. It's like a right, yeah, a microcontroller for those who would like to know. It's a small little board that has a small computer on it, and you can run inputs and outputs and write little programs on it, and it's self-contained, and it can control other things with these signals. Um, and so it's I'm excited just with them about the possibilities in the process. But then after all that, you're thinking, okay, do I really want to build a whole system that just monitors like my coffee temperature and turns on the heater if the coffee drops below a certain temperature? I mean, that's the kind of thing you end up doing with these. Now, at a much higher level in like a business or corporation, you might actually design something epic and cool, but there is that gap that you have to pass. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I think that the the pleasure I gain from that is not is not measurably greater enough than the pressure I would get from like watching a gif of online of someone else's dumb machine. Like the the part where you go, huh, look at that. You know Exactly. <laughs> just, if you're in the middle of doing something that's gonna take you days and then you watch a video of somebody doing it as well or better than you, you sort of like deflate and you're like Hmm. Yeah. Okay. What am I here for? Uh, I, so for me, I, I, I think that I ended up getting motivated by the humans interacting with the software part of stuff rather than the software interacting with the hardware part. of Yeah, stuff. that's true. That's that is what you do to this day. Indeed. Yeah. Come to come full circle. I think one day we might end up with a Raspberry Pi, though. Shannon always talks about it because Archer. They're I, fun. We, we haven't. Well, I'm worried that all I'll end up doing is like tar XZVFing some Linux distro onto a Raspberry Pi 60 times trying to get it to talk to something. I, I don't know enough. It's not I, that hard. 
Okay, I know enough about it to be sort of like already demoralized by what I the fiddling with things that I don't want to be fiddling with. Um, and like she suggested, and we're doing this labo, which I think accomplishes I think some that, of the same yes. things. I right? think that's that a, that's a very good version of this same kind of thing, but with a more broad view. Right. And like, I think that'll get Archer involved. We, we, I mean, we've had some stuff we have a, uh, she, he got this like a R2D2 circuit thing, like a, a snap sort of magnetic circuit thing for Christmas. We played around with that. So we, he's gotten a little bit into like, and he has snap circuits too, which are cool. The little like a uh, board that you plug things into. So he's gotten a little bit of the idea of like resistors and, and the path of electricity and things like that. Um, and I'm suggesting to her if there, if this exists, um, that it might not hurt to get him into like logic gates. Uh, I don't know if there's like kids digital logic design. I think there definitely has to be. And I think it's a huge failure that we don't try to do that more because I'm here. I am in college and probably my third year of college practically. And I'm introduced to logic, digital logic, which again, as a way of explanation is simply a logical path of questions and answers that you build into a computer so that when you put in certain inputs, different outputs come out and you get to design which inputs yield what outputs like that is the totality of how a computer works and how it works is that there's little gates that say, turn this from yes to no, or if two yeses come in here, put out a yes. You know, these are logic gates and it's, It's so much how people already think. Why did I first hear about it in college? I mean, it's how programming works as well, but it it sort of underlies everything. Right. It 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 allows you to think of like logic as a flow, um, like just logic in general, actually, but like specifically digital logic as as sort of like a series of of inputs and and. it's fun. Like I remember, uh, aside from the burning myself thing, uh, which happened in that log- digital logic design class, like just like if I, I feel like he would respond really well to just like worksheets of like, uh, here's a bu- here's like a diagram and, um, you know, given these inputs, what are the outputs, which I've looked up and there are like college level worksheets for this, but they're pretty dry. I might end up, well, honestly, I might end up just like making some. You could but, make it. I mean, you know? the, the, why I think that is because it's so innate to how maybe I think more like this than some people, but I think generally um, it's innate to humans and probably Archer sounds like definitely um, Mm -hmm. it's like state diagrams and stuff. I just felt like it was trivial to actually do the task, but it had a real result. So you, the way it works is you think of what you want it to do. And then you use certain very defined tasks to then build it out from your idea of what you want it to do. And then it works that way. I think Archer would love that. He's very, they would be very satisfied by that. Um, he's, I mean, a, a pinball table is a giant state machine, really. Yeah. Uh, and he's super turbo and he's writing pinball tables. He's drawing, I should send you some pictures of him. He's, he's drawing pinball tables all the time. You know, the Stern Pinball Factory is actually here in town. Um, 
And I'm gonna really? I'm gonna say that. Let me see. Uh, let me write that down. I need to call them, which is why I'm writing it. Because uh, apparently, if you talk to the right person over there, you can go get a factory tour. So if we manage to do that, I will report back. If Archer um, became sure. a master pinball table designer, I think you would have succeeded, Cam. <laughs> if the yeah, well, the pinball industry is going to have to kind of like uh, continue rebounding significantly before he can put food on the table with <laughs> that kind of a title. Uh, but man, yeah, the, uh, the Stern is actually, I think there's a newer table manufacturer over in Boston or something, but Stern is the only surviving pinball table manufacturer from the, the heyday of pinball. Physical objects are at least currently resurging. I don't know how long it will last, but yeah, I mean, a big thing I'm working on it. My work is reverb LP, which is like a marketplace for vinyl records people buying and selling vinyl. Um, and then like, obviously the Labo, like it's funny how we're <clears throat> at the same time as the, uh, the VR stuff. There's also, there's also ultra, ultra analog things like, like putting in incredibly complex game controller into a big cardboard thingy with rubber bands and whatnot. Yeah. So I think it'll go full circle. Eventually, You'll. How would this work? If we go full virtual, then you'll have like physical objects within virtual reality. How's this going to work? Uh, I, you're thinking of uh, we're gonna it's we're gonna Willy Wonka, uh, chocolate bars and small children uh, into into pixels, and we're gonna they'll be shrunk in the process, of course. So we're gonna need a giant chocolate bar. But I mean. Oh. Okay, so it's not a literal chocolate bar. Wait, we're putting no, chocolate bars chocolate in bar. virtual reality for the virtual I'm, children. I think I'm 0 for 3 on TV or movie <laughs> references that you're supposed to immediately pick up on. This oh, no, episode. no, I'm picking up on it. That Well, it took me half a second to remember that they digitized, digitized a, a kid into the TV. Yeah, Mike TV. Actually. I dream. Cam, I dream of a day when a virtual child can walk into a virtual wall, <laughs> wearing a real headset. Is that so much to ask? So- <laughs>